Welcome to Vic's Picks. This is your host, Victoria. We'll be spilling the tea of the history of dance. So, in this podcast, we're going to talk about the history of ballet. And this comes from our reading, A History and Broad Brushstrokes by Carol Pardo. And ballet is one of the oldest forms of Western theatrical dancing. And in this reading, she describes, like, defines ballet as, like, nothing I've ever heard. And it's perfect, so I'll read it for you. Ballet is a combination of athletics and aesthetics, whose result is rhythm given three dimensions by the human body in motion. Rhythm is generally provided by music, form based on uh, the range of motion provided by legs trained to turn out from the hip joint and from the five basic positions of the feet, together with their association positions of the torso, head, and arms. These basic elements are assembled to the form of geometric relationships to each other and the stage space in which they are performed. By these formal means, ballet, Ballets and ballet dancers communicate with the audience. And I think that is, you can't explain it better than that. So we're going to talk, um, start off with the, where it starts off with and the beginnings of ballet. So we talked about court dance and this is where the chapter really starts. And we know that the court dance in the previous podcast that I've discussed that the origins coincide with arrival of Italian dancing masters at the French court during the late 16th century. And it didn't really like fully peak until Louis the 14th. And this is because this had more funding from the um, royal, like from the government per se, like, And to think about how they had that kind of funding is interesting to think. And just like if we had that kind of funding now, like how big would dance and what we have today be and how accessible would it be? So I find that very interesting. Um, And to go back on to the Louis the 14th, he uh, founded the Royal Academy of Dancing, and he was also a professional. He added to the professionalization of a dancer because he became a professional dancer himself and took on many roles as a dancer, as we have previously discussed. During this time, there was also the Ray's Perseum stage and the first professional dancers which were mostly male, like Louis XIV. Um, it wasn't until 1681 that women joined ballet, which leads us to the next section, which is um, ballet d'action, um, and which is was more like pushed forward by finding narrative inspirations and in historical accounts of mime under the ancient Romans. Um, and one of the artists that we talk about is, um, 
Nerver, and he felt that dance and mime had become a sep- um, become separated from each other, and he also wanted to do away with the concept of theatrical unity. So then, after that, we talk about romantic ballet, and romantic ballet spans very far into the 18th to 19th century. So romantic ballet is a more balanced relationship between dance and mime. And during this time period of the romanticism art period, um, there was an increased amount of like dance or art provided to the middle class instead of just the nobility, which were more High, they were more in hiding and like more like it wasn't that much of a big deal anymore um and the there was the creation of um lights the, the gaslight that permitted um performers to take place in darkened um auditoriums which um also provided the stage to have light. So we had that separation of the audience being in the dark and the dance and the dancers being fully lit. And then in the late 1820s, set changes took place behind a lowered curtain. And this provided a very strong separation between the audience and the um, performers. And also more like excitement to see what is next to come after. Um, during this, there's also the time of point dancing. And this was very um, pushed forward for female dancers at the time. Um, this allowed the female dancers to meet the male dancers in the air. This is also a time where it got kind of sketchy and people would boil point shoes and then eat them just to feel closer to their favorite ballet dancer. That's weird. It's like the modern day like feet pics. So weird. Um, And also I thought was very interesting about this time was 18 during 1870s Capelia, which we will be having soon at Ball State. Thank you, Lisa Carter. Um, there was woman in pants in the male lead for a majority of the time, not until 1952, when a man finally performed at the Paris Opera. And I low-key hope that Lisa has a female in the lead, which I don't think she will happen, but, you know, I think it'd be pretty cool. Um, and then we go on to ballet in Denmark. Um, so ballet really like hit its peak and got there during the golden age in the middle of the 19th century, which was very beneficial for ballet at the time. And um, two artists I want to discuss is August Burnville, and he really like thrived. Oh. Owing the presence of um, a dancer, teacher, choreographer, and visionary, he was just like kind of like what we call today like a triple threat. And that was very like great to see. He also wrote down his work, which was very rare at the time and good to see. 
Um, and then we go on to that he also fought for men in the da- and danced, often taking on the male lead himself. In Russia, we talk about Maris Pepita, and he was brought to Russia when there was a time going on in France where a lot of their um, choreographers weren't being appreciated as much, and Russia would take them in and pay them and whatnot. And there's some of the best choreographers that came out of this, including Mar- Mar- Marius Pepta and Sergei Diaglov. And Marius arrived in Russia in 1847, and he created Sleeping Beauty, which we still know to this day. And he was very much known for his, like, three to five acts. Like, he usually made three to five acts long. And then he also created two acts, which we still use today. And then we have Sergei, who created the um, ballet company, Ballet Ruses, which the problem with his, like, company was that it was based solely off of him and it wasn't affiliated with another school and so as soon as he passed away his company died along with all the talent of his dancers who dispersed after he passed away and then we go on to england and the u.s so in the u.s there was um the creation of um, the ballet theater, which we now know today as um, American Ballet Theater. And it was founded in 1939. And the first director at the time was um, Anton Dolan. And there was three wings. There's American wing, um, England, and French. And then along that, after that, they their funding was not working for having three wings, so it became under the role of Lucia Chase. And then after that, we talk about George Balanchine, which he immigrated to the U.S. in 1933. And he came to the U.S. on the urge of Lincoln, who paid for all of that. And he opened um, the New York School of American Ballet. And soon that became the New York City Ballet. And what we know more about him is he created his work not thinking about the story first in mind and more about like creating with music and the influence of dance, which was very rare at this time. And then 1973, the Joffrey Ballet um, commissioned modern dancer choreographer Twyla Tharp, which I think is amazing because she's a modern dancer and we're talking about ballet and I think that's pretty badass. So, yeah. Tune in weekly to spill the tea.